verses 9 and 4 verses 9 and 10. Let me read it to you first. Verse 9 says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. By this, the love of God was manifested. By what? That God sent his only begotten son. Okay. This is what love is. You notice John has been speaking about how do you identify? What are the characteristics of a genuine believer? He said one of the characteristics is that we exhibit God's love for one another. I remember last week we looked at it's not a question of love is God, but God is love. The character of God we exhibit because God himself lives in us. This is the agape love, not the human love, not the conditional love, but the unconditional love. So he moves on and explains this love you know, that God has for us. And having understood this, you know, then we in turn would be able to know what it is to love one another. God's supreme example of sacrificial love should motivate us to love in the same way. So what John is really saying here is it's like in a court of law, you know, you have different, different exhibits that are put up to prove a particular case. So he's saying exhibit A, you know, is that God sent his only son into this world. This is what love is. You know, if love is put up in a, on a trial, he says, this is the supreme example of love. The exhibit that is put up is that Jesus came into this world and died for us. Now he says, you know, and this is love that God manifested his love, manifested his love. The word manifest speaks about, you know, uh, more of something that was hidden and now it has been made public. Under the old covenant, God was hidden in the shadows as it were. Sacrificial system was a shadow of what was going to come. Sacrifices in the Old Testament was a shadow of the supreme perfect sacrifice that was going to come. So that which was hidden in the old is now revealed totally in the new. That's why the writer to the Hebrews in chapter 1 says, God who in sundry times and in diverse manners has spoken in time past through our prophets, has in these last days spoken to us through his son. In other words, Jesus is the complete revelation of who God is. Okay, So if you want to know who God is, look at the life of Jesus. A lot of people definitely would want to know who God is, isn't it? In the heart of every man and woman, there's a God-shaped vacuum wanting to know, where is God? Who is God? How can I know him? Here, John is declaring that God has manifested himself to us in the person of Jesus. Now, the tense that is used there for manifesting is an aorist tense. Basically means it's an event that has happened in the past and the benefits of that is continuing on today. So the incarnation is an event. It's a historical event. Now, we need to be careful because there are liberal theologians today who say 
that incarnation is God revealing himself. God continues to reveal himself to us today. So incarnation is a process. No, no, no. Incarnation is an event that God manifesting himself in the flesh as a revelation, complete revelation, happened in time past in history. That's why the tense that is used there is an event that took place in history. And the benefit of that continues to be available to us today. So he says, God manifested his love by sending his son into this world. Okay. For what purpose? For what purpose? So that we might live through him. If you notice, you know, the purpose of Christ coming into this world, John has been declaring time and time again in this you know, short episode. For example, you know, in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 5, he says he appeared in order to take away sins. 1 John 3, 8, you know, he said you know, that he appeared for this purpose, that he might destroy the works of the devil. And in this verse, he says he has appeared, he has manifested so that we might live through him. Now, remember here it says, God sent his son. God sent his son. Now, there's a big difference between being born into this world and being sent by God. To be sent means, you know, somebody has sent you for a particular purpose. You know, there's a mission that you have. Okay. So the Greek word that is used there for sent is in the perfect tense again, signifying the permanent effect of sending of the son. So God sent his son for a particular purpose. Okay. And the effect of that purpose lasts for all eternity. What Jesus did for us on the cross, that is what his mission was, isn't it? Jesus was very clear. He came to die. He came to die. He was sent to die. And when the time was right, you know, the scripture says he set his face towards Jerusalem as a flint. So that was his purpose. And when Jesus died on the cross, when he said it is finished, it was a mission accomplished. You know, it has been done. The purpose for which he was sent. Now, even when you're thinking about sent, okay, remember babies are born into this world, but only Jesus, if you were to say, was sent into the world. Yes, Jesus took birth in this world. That was not a natural process. Why? Because God sent his son. God sent his son. It was not a natural birth, but because God himself came down for a purpose. And what is the purpose? That he would save you and me. So God sent his son into this world, into this world. That was the destination. That was the destination that Jesus came into this world. Why the people of this world required salvation. Payment for sin had to be done. So the scripture says that God sent his son into this world, his only begotten son, his only begotten son. Sometimes people have trouble with understanding this word begotten, because if you notice in the genealogies, we find so-and-so begot so-and-so, so-and-so begot so-and-so. So does that mean that you know, the previous, you know, the father gave birth to the son? So when you're speaking about this word begotten, you know, that somebody gave birth, you know, no, no. The word that is used there for begotten is a different word, okay? It basically means, you know, one of its kind, okay? 
one and only or unique. That's the word meaning for you know, only begotten, only begotten. That is why the NIV says he sent his one and only son into the world. In other words, you know, it is not that God had many sons, one of the sons he sent. No, no. It's a question of God had only son, only one son, and in that sense, one who was equal with God, and he was sent you know, by the Father. A unique individual, unique purpose as well. This word in Greek was used of an only child or a daughter, and it was also used of something unique, one of its kind. So when you're speaking about the only begotten, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Remember the word meaning here is one of its kind, unique, only. There's no other individual like Jesus because Jesus was born of a virgin and he grew up, he was very God and very man. No other individual has been like that. That's why it's called as only begotten son, one and only son. So that, so that, when you say so that, there's a purpose, isn't it? You know? What is the purpose? You know, John writes and says, we might live through him. We might live through him. In other words, so that the life that we live now is because of his life in us. God sent his son. He died on the cross, made payment for sin. When we respond to him, his very life comes into our lives. And as a result, the life that we live now, as Paul would say, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives through me, in me. That's what you know, John is emphasizing over here. Remember, Christianity is not primarily a matter of a person deciding to stop certain sinful habits and start living a new life. In other words, Christianity is not reformation. Christianity is not a guy saying, okay, now I'm going to change from a non-religious person to a religious person, and I'm going to become a regular church goer. No, no, that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is God imparting his very life into us. That's why Jesus speaking to Nicodemus said, unless a person is born from above, unless God does his internal work in his life, unless God takes away his heart of stone and gives him a heart of flesh, unless God's very life comes and dwells in us, we are not born again. As simple as that. So when you're speaking about, very clearly John is declaring here is, if there's life flowing through us, it is all because God sent his son so that he would die for us, so that as we respond to him, we might live through him. We might live through him. And if Christ is living through us, then what will happen? The love that we need to have for one another would also be that. If you notice the purpose for John writing here, in John's gospel, he mentions in John chapter 20 and verse 31, he says, these have been written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So the purpose of Jesus being manifested is so that we might live. We might live. The word that is used there for you know, live is also a very interesting word. The Greek word is zeo, you know, which basically would refer to physical life, but basically speaking about physical life after death or recovery you know, of you know, life after sickness. 
So here when he's saying so that we would have life, he's speaking about definitely a supernatural life, a spiritual life, a life from death to life. Okay, We were dead in sin. Now there is life in us. And unless a person has come to that recognition that I could not do anything to save myself, it is only God who could do something. He reached down and saved me, gave me life you know, from death to life, the spiritual life. Why? Because Christ died and Christ rose again. And the same resurrection power is living in us. And as a result, we can then live and show to the others the very power of God in us. Verse 10 says, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins or to be the atonement for our sins. So John makes it very clear over here. He says, you know, it is not we who loved God. It is not we who took the first step. When it comes to salvation, it is not we did God a favor and says, Lord, I want to respond to you. It is not to say that we felt sorry for Jesus on the cross and says, I want to do this for you. No, no. It's a question of God loved us first. And not, this is love. So unless we have come to that level to recognize our you know, moral barrenness, if you were to say, that we could never save ourselves. You know. Oftentimes, people who say they have made commitments, but their lives are not different. It is because they have considered it only as a reformation. It's been like a New Year's resolution. From this year onwards, I will do this, this, this. I won't do this, this, this. You know? And maybe at a meeting, at a revival meeting, at a camp meeting, people you know, say, yes, I want to do this. As if you are taking the decision. No, no, no. It is God who takes the first step. God sent his son. You know? Not that we loved God but that God loved us and he sent his son. And when he says over that, not that we loved, it's a very you know, strong statement in Greek. You know? No way possible we can say that we have loved God or we have taken the first step. Now, this is where people very casually say you know, that I love God. You know, people of the world, you know, I love God and I also love this. No, there's no question of a casualness about we declaring we love God. We on our own can never really love God. It is only because God loved us and God has put his love into our hearts that we can love him in return. It is God's love for us that initiates our relationship of love with him. Our love only responds to his love for us. We can't love God the way we should unless we are receiving and living in his love. So if you find that your life is not up to the mark, you know, stop and consider, you know, do you think it's left up to you? It's all up to you. It is you are the one who is the initiator. You are the one who is continuing it. Don't put the load on yourself. God is the one who started the work. And if he has started the work, he is the one who empowers us. He is the one who gives us the love. He is the one who gonna lives through our lives, you know. And the more we see it that way, we find then that Christian living is not a strain, but it's a relief because we know we can't do it. We hand it over to God and God is the one who does it for us. Okay? So he says over here you know, that God sent his son to be the propitiation. Now, again, it's a big word, propitiation. 
Sometimes people, you know, use this word, you know, in terms of appeasing wrath, okay? And you know, this is not the picture of, you know, a God in the scriptures. This would be like, you know, maybe the pagan understanding, God is angry, so you have to do something, you know, you do some sacrifices, you know, and then God's anger is appeased. No, no, that's not the meaning for propitiation over here. The meaning here is more of God is gracious and merciful. Yes, God is love and therefore he wants us to forgive sinners, okay, and save sinners. But how can God forgive sinners and still be consistent with his holy nature? Holiness demands a punishment for sin. How can both these things go together? The answer then becomes the cross. Where Jesus bore our punishment, met the just demands of the holy law, and as a result, he is in a position to show his mercy towards us. That is why some translations puts it across as the atoning sacrifice. Because the same word is used for the mercy seat. You know, it is like Jesus became our mercy seat, like the one in the most holy place, where the high priest splattered the blood of the sacrifice on the day of atonement. Now, Jesus did this with, with his blood, not for himself, but on behalf of others to satisfy God's holy justice and wrath against sin. So, when you're speaking about propitiation, think about it as the Old Testament sacrifice, which was the type. In the new, the total manifestation, he made total atonement. As a result, you know, the justice of God was met so he could show mercy to us, so he could show mercy to us. So propitiation means to satisfy God's justice and wrath toward our sin. His love didn't just brush aside our sin because his holiness and justice would have been compromised. Rather, his love moved God to send his own son who bore the penalty that we rightly deserved. Remember the initiative was totally with God. He didn't wait till we changed. The scripture tells us very clearly, isn't it? Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his own love to us. And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So it's not a question of we reformed ourselves, so God said, okay, I will do this for you. We couldn't help ourselves. And in the midst of that, God sent his son to die for us. This is what love is all about. That's what John is explaining over here. And then he's saying, if this life is living in us, the purpose for all this is so that Christ could live his life through us, so that we would be able to show forth that life that is there in us. Remember, it doesn't come naturally. It is not by our blood, sweat, and tears. It is not by us fulfilling rules and regulations. It is a loving God to do his work in, our, in and through our lives. It may sound very simple. But it becomes difficult because as human beings, we think we have to do something. You know? We have to do something. If I don't do it, you know, how, it is, how will it be? No, no. As Jesus himself said, without me, you can do nothing. When we come to that state, then he is able to work in and through our lives. And God is patient with us you know, through different circumstances, through different situations in life. This is the basic lesson that he continues to teach us. Sometimes he takes away our props. Sometimes he takes away that which we have depending, been depending upon. He knocks off all that, you know, so that we can say, I can't do it, Lord. 
only you can. And when we allow him to take total charge, we find that his life in and through us is not only the very best life, but it is also the most powerful life ever lived. Let's bow our heads in prayer together.